presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. Be sure to log on to KeelGuard.com to get the latest costumes for your watercraft. Unfortunately, Halloween is over, but the good news is Kurt is still on his sugar high. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. <laughs> we got a big man on campus today in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Looking forward to breaking down the angler that has cracked the code to fishing stardom. I am hunkered down and ready to ride. Bass Edge Radio has got the green light. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Well, Kurt, as always, good to be with you at the mic today. A lot of stuff going on as we head into fall. Of course, you still have that uh, Halloween trick-or-treating hangover, but I'm sure with much water and some rest, you will soon be over that. Yeah, it took me a while this morning to climb out of my costume as I uh, stumbled in late last night. But uh, look, man, I'm fired up. We're here in November. Fall has officially arrived in South Texas. It takes a little bit longer than other parts of the country, but fishing's picking up at Amistad, so super happy about that, and I'm just ready to play Bass Edge today. I'm, I'm fired up. Well, you know, uh, this is the time of year, obviously. We always talk about the deer season and the overlap of, of going into quality fall fishing, but for a lot of guys... You know, it might be that time of year where they're getting some time off work and they want to hit the water. And we've talked many times about Bass Gold and, and our friend over there, Jay Kumar, and how he's put together kind of this software package that really points you in the right direction. What does Bass Gold have to say? I don't, I don't know. Let's pick a random body water. Let's let's say Lake Wheeler. All right, here's the deal, Aaron. Logged on to BassGold.com. Real simple. You pick the lake, the water type, time of year. So here it is. Wheeler is what you want. And we're going into November. So here are the standard good tactics to begin with at Wheeler Lake. First one, spinnerbait. That's number one on the list. Percent of effectiveness is well over 20% to do well on Lake Wheeler with a spinnerbait. The second one, crankbait. And the third is slowing down a little bit with some plastics like worms and senkos. You know, they list everything on this thing. So you got chatterbait, crankbait, drop shot, 
about fluke, jerk bait, on and on and on, all the different techniques. The top three techniques based on the data in this software, again, spinnerbait number one, crankbait number two, worm and senko number three. Now, the really cool thing is now you can flip over to another segment of this and go into habitat factors. Real quickly, boom, number one habitat factor, wood. So typical kind of fall fishing patterns, but what bass gold really does for us is break it down quickly. You don't have to really overanalyze everything. It's boom. Here is the primary stuff you should be looking for when you hit Lake Wheeler or any other body of water that you're looking for at BassGold.com. Well, it's all about efficiency and certainly for the working man like some of us, you have that limited time on the water. You want to hit the water and uh, get on those fish as quickly as possible. But anyway, what else is going on, Kurt? Just got back from uh, Shreveport, fishing a little derby over there, and quite frankly, it's time to move right into see our chemist, Mark Negist, from protecttheharvest.com with a new Marine Tech Minute. First by land, and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. survey calculus by hand because a calculator isn't fast enough. Yes, it is time for Tech Minutes presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com with Mark Negist, chemist for Lucas Oil Products. Mark, Rodney from Springfield, Illinois writes, I notice after running the Lucas two-cycle land and sea, the inside of my prop is as shiny as the day I bought it. Why is this? Well, Lucas Oil uh, two-cycle land and sea uses a very unique and effective additive system, uh, an ashless system and detergency that actually does keep your entire system clean. If he's been using it from day one, that may explain why he's had such good luck as far as the prop being as shiny as the day he bought it. The land and sea is, of course, NMMA certified as a TCW3 fluid, but it does have unique additive systems in it that does keep your entire system clean. Just goes to show Lucas Oil is protecting the environment in every way they can. We appreciate you being a part of Bass Edge Nation, Rodney, and be sure to check out protecttheharvest.com. Bass Edge Radio, we'll be back in a moment. This is Pro Angler, Gerald Pensacola. Be sure and stay tuned for more Bass Edge Radio. Two fishermen came together with one agenda to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish with our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride extreme rough water just doesn't exist we're not just building a boat we're building a legend legend boats Today, we have the opportunity to have with us 2014's hottest angler on tour. I'm certain he'll never get tired of hearing this in front of his name. BASS Angler of the Year, Greg Hackney. Greg, welcome to Bass Edge Radio. 
Hi, it's good to be here. Well, Greg, I'm going to throw a long stat, meaning long stat since you've been on here. Episode 9, do a little math, and we're on episode 195. So obviously it's been a while since we've had the hack attack, but uh, it's certainly in full effect this year. Congratulations, Greg, on an outstanding achievement, but really you're no stranger to the highest achievement on the Bass Fishing Tours. You have an FLW Angler of the Year title, an FLW Cup trophy. Now you own three of the four major titles in Bass fishing. Absolutely amazing. I've been very blessed, to say the least. I feel anglers have a moment that occur when they get started on these runs or, or streaks of momentum like you had this past year. Is there something you can kind of pinpoint that might have changed or taken place between your 2013 and 2014 seasons that really helped you get it going? Well, probably the biggest difference this year, I spent a lot more time on the water. I started fishing a lot earlier in the year, and uh, of course, I fished both tournament trails this year instead of just one. And I I think one of the problems has been in the past, we have a tendency as your career progresses or whatever, there are a lot of other things that go on besides fishing. So you typically, the only time you really get to fish is when we're at an event. And, you know, our events are so scattered one a month or whatever. I just don't think I had been spending enough time on the water. And this year, you know, the biggest change I made was to spend every moment possible fishing. Obviously, that worked out really well. But can you pinpoint, you know, like there was this fish or this feeling that you got that said, okay, we're headed in the right direction. I think 2013, a little tough year. 2014, you come out of the gates firing. Is there a fish that gets you going or a deal? I mean, I I know it's Seminole. You had a tough first day, backed it up with a really strong day. You know, probably the most important day of your career on the bass side this year was probably that second day at Seminole. What do you think? Uh, Yeah, without a doubt. I was pretty much down and out after the first day. I had just a total disaster the first day of that tournament. And, you know, it's one of those deals. I had a great practice. I think that even made the first day were. And the second day, I basically just go back out there and fish the exact same way. Biggest thing, conditions were better for the way I was fishing the second day. And, you know, had a good day. And without a doubt, I had no idea at the time that that day was that important. <laughs> but looking back, you know how the year turned out, that may have been the most important day of the year. But yet, on both tours, I just kind of got off to a mediocre start this year. You know, had some decent finishes. Nothing really just, you know, out of the park. And then I kind of got on a little hill where everything seemed to go right up. I finished third in FLW at Rayburn and then rolled from there right on to Table Rock and had another third and uh, it just seemed like during that period of time and then I come close to winning the event at Dardanelle and of course now after Dardanelle was probably when I was the most motivated all year. Now, I was like, just had normal motivation up to that point. But after Darnell was when I got in contention for Angler of the Year, you know, on the bass side, it really helped me focus. Without a doubt, I was probably the most motivated at that point during this year as I can ever remember being my whole career. Because I just know how important that Angler of the Year deal, and I had been close to it before, and, you know, I'm a lot older now, and I've been fishing a lot longer. And I, at the time, I guess, it happened a couple times early on in my career, I got close to Angler of the Year, and, or, you know, were in contention for it and uh, I let it slip away and it had been a while since I had been in contention for that. You know, this year, I don't know, I can't explain it but maybe I was really, really hungry for that because I was like, you don't know how many more chances if you'll ever have another chance you know, because our fishermen are so good now. They're so much better now than they were when I started and uh, it's just a hard feat and so, without a doubt, it really, really motivated me. Let's go back 
real quick and talk about some of that earlier in your career. You know, you had a FLWAOY, I think it was back in 04. You finished second, you know, one Bass Rookie of the Year and then finished second place, I think, to swindle in the Angler of the Year early on. And then, you know, obviously through that 10-year gap, you've got a FLW Cup Championship in 09. Do you find that enabled to stay on top? You've got to continue to reinvent yourself or do you feel like you just kind of stay to, to what Hackney does and continue to grind and, and finally just, you know, the year runs through its course and you hit the right moment where it happens for you. How does that work out as far as that time frame? Well, you know, without a doubt for me, I think that, and I, I actually learned this pretty early on in my career, to just let things happen. You can't force them in this deal. You'll do more damage trying to force them than if you just let things happen and just kind of do your own thing. But I can look back, say, I, I still I relate a lot of that early success in my career to fishing a lot. The first five or six years from the time I started fishing bass and FLW together, fishing both tours, you know, I mean, like the year that I was second to swim, I was also second to Sheen on the FLW side. And the next year after that, I won the FLW points and was fourth in bass points. And even the first couple years of the Elite Series, when I quit fishing FLW, we were still fishing like 18 events a year. So I spent a lot of time on the water. And I'm just one of those people, I don't pre-fish. I despise to get help. It just seems like for me, my style of fishing and everything for me to work, the more days I spend consecutively in the water, the more the deal. Now, with that being said, there comes a point where this year, there were a couple times during the year, and you know, without a doubt, I spent too much time on the water. I was burnt out, ready to go home. But within reality, I guess I just need to fish a lot. I mean, that's what does it for me. Now, now with that being said, if I fish a lot next year, <laughs> Who knows how that's going to turn out? <laughs> right, that's the plan right. Anyway, you know. You know, Greg, you're one that I've always kind of respected and and really felt like I could relate to. You're, I think you would agree. You're kind of that that country boy to the core. I know you came up through, I believe, the the logging industry, and and really, I just kind of see you as a as a no BS. You know, people don't have to dive too far into what you're thinking. You know, you're kind of that tough guy on tour, and and I respect that. But do you think that your no nonsense approach has really helped you to be where you're at, but also continues to help you achieve success? I guess it's one of those deals, you know, like there, there have been times in my career when I've tried a lot of different things. You know what I'm saying? Like I've watched the other anglers and I, without a doubt, I learned from all of them. That's a big key to my success. And most of the other guys out there, we learn from each other. But the deal is, even though you may learn something from another angler, you have to apply it in your way. You know, the way it suits the way you fish which may be just a little bit different from the way it works for someone else. But, yeah, without a doubt, I feel like that we are each individual, and you cannot duplicate what someone else does. Regardless of how they make it look, you can only do what you can do. And so, I mean, that, that has definitely been a big key to my success. I mean, without a doubt, anytime I've tried to do something else that's kind of out of my realm, it doesn't work for me. And the other thing is, and I actually in recent times, I've let this hurt me a couple times, I've listened to a little doc talk, and which I think is the worst thing ever. And, uh, I mean, it makes me want to cut my foot off, you know, because I will have a bad tournament. And I can't blame it on the other person because I'm the one that listened. Yeah, I think for me, without a doubt, I'm best just to stay away from all that and just do what I think is right. And that typically is what works out for me. Well, describe a little bit to our Bass Edge listeners. What is Greg Hackney's own fishing style? When you break yourself down, what's the core to Hackney? I 
try to keep everything simple because I look back on all these guys who have won all these tournaments, and, you know, all my heroes, the Cluns, the Van Dams, the Benny Briars, you know, the Gary Kleins, most of the time when they had won an event, it was pretty simple. I mean, it was throwing a crankbait out of thumb. It was buzzbaiting down a bank. You know what I'm saying? They, they weren't reinventing the wheel. So for me, I just try to keep that same approach that suits me. I run down the lake and look for something that looks good to me. You know, I'll know some bad past history of the lake, and I research tournament weights. To me, that's the number one thing that I research is tournament weights. What kind of weight does it take there? So I know when I'm practicing, when I'm catching something, am I catching the right size of fish? You know, what size of fish? I'll tell you another thing. I still look at what it's going to take to make a check and what it's going to take to win the tournament. And this is the deal for me. If you're not on the fish to win the tournament, you need to be thinking about second. And second is getting a check and getting some points to make it on to, you know, whatever you're trying to qualify for. Because this is another thing I found out in my career, and I burnt myself a bunch of times. I would be on fish to have a good tournament and just completely blow that away and go to repracticing during the tournament trying to find something to win. And you can only win the ones you're supposed to win. You cannot make it happen. It will happen if it's supposed to happen. Or that's the way it has worked out for me. So all those times when I tried to make something out of something I didn't have going on, it's burnt me. That was another thing that last year or this past season that I was like, whatever I get on in practice, that's going to be good enough. I'm not doing anything else because I'm so bad to even maybe I go out and fish my practice the first day of the tournament and it's, you know, I'm catching 13 or 14 pounds and 25 is leading. And I'm like, you can't win with what you're on. And I would just completely abandon it and try to find something better and then shoot myself in the foot. So that was another big deal that I told myself, I won't do that anymore. You cannot do that. It never worked out for me trying that. I've been trying to do that because you'll get to a point in your career when you think you want to win every one of them. And I do want to win every tournament there is out there, just like everybody else fishing. But the deal was I was doing some stupid things to try to make that happen, and it just didn't work out. So you're not going to be the guy on stage anymore that's saying, hey, look, man, I went up there and I swung for the finches, and, and it just fell a little short. <laughs> yeah, you're, What you're no, trying to say I'll is... I'll be honest with you. Every time I've said that, I was an idiot for doing that. Right, you know? right. Yep. But I just went out there because what will happen is if you fish a good tournament, and a lot of times we fish good tournaments and we finish 30th. I can look back on some tournaments this year where I, I fished pretty clean. I caught my practice. You know what I'm saying? It's just what I was on in practice, and I finished 30th, and I didn't lose any fish, and I moved well, and it was a good tournament. And then you'll have bad tournaments where you finish 10th. You know, it's hard to say that, but I, I think that was the biggest thing I you know, I have to tell myself is as long as you go out and fish good and you don't make any mistakes, however you finish is a good finish. It's when you make mistakes is when you have bad tournaments. And I've done a lot of that. I give up some really good practices to hunt that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and it wasn't out there. Bad decision-making on my part. And I didn't just do that once. I've done that a lot. <laughs> you know, I think it's worse. <laughs> That's how we learn it quickly is make the same mistake over and over and over, and then finally you're like, all right, I ain't doing that again. <laughs> right. Well, the interesting thing is, Greg, you know, ever since I've known you and kind of followed your career dating all the way back to the BFLs, you know, your message has been pretty consistent about going back and kind of looking at game film or past performance and then trying to improve on that. And yet, still, you know, the interesting thing is that even at this level, you know, you just come off Angler of the Year and, and with all the winnings and, and that you put in the bank this year, you're still consistently doing that. And I think that speaks volumes about, you know, you as a person, but also what it takes to succeed in the sport. And I almost even hate to kind of throw this question out there because the first thing everybody wants to know is, you know, what did you catch them on and where did you catch them? And it's an overused cliche, but if you kind of look at maybe two techniques that that maybe you leaned on a 
little bit this year and played more of a significant role in your success, what could you identify those as being? You know, that's a funny thing. I, uh, I did a deal the other day with the guy on this, and, uh, man, I've been all over this year. That's what's been strange. Is, I mean, I won one event on the FLW side fishing offshore, and then won another event on the bass side flipping deep grass which is one of my favorite ways to fish. You know, I don't know. I caught him at swim being on a drop shot. Started off the year swimming a jig. Probably the two things, though, realistically, it's funny. I I want him flipping a jig deep at Cayuga. I caught him at Dardanelle on a square bill and flipping a jig shallow. I caught him at Pickwick on a giant square bill and dragging a jig offshore. I don't know. I caught him at Rayburn swimming a jig. I caught him on a Carolina rig. I caught him flipping. The reason I say the drop shot because I caught two key fish right at five pounds in that tournament that put me as high as I was there, you know, on the drop shot. So, I mean, I called it Hartwell on a shaky head. It's just been all over. So, the answer answer is versatility, basically. I mean, you were were versatile. Yeah, you know, but with that being said, I never caught them this year out of my comfort zone. Regardless of how I was fishing, it was always something that I had confidence in. You know, that Seminole bills, uh, caught a Maryland lipless crankbait, you know, and it's something that I like to do in the springtime, you know, it's a perfect deal. They only did it one out of the three days. That's such a weird tournament for me. I, I had such a great practice and never caught one doing that the first day. The second day I catch like 23 and change on a lipless crankbait. Go back out the third day, never have another bite, and then go to the bank and catch like 16 just fishing. It was weird. <laughs> they were there. They were gone. They were there. They were gone. I don't know. It was a weird deal. But uh, caught them at Table Rock cranking. You know, I don't know. It's just been kind of all over. I've done a little bit of everything. But, you know, this year, everything was later. I mean, we were just behind about three weeks on every lake we went to. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's what it was. I don't know. It just seemed like everything kind of set up right. Regardless of what I was doing, probably the tournament that I struggled the most in was the Delaware River. And it was my worst finish on bass, but that big title fluctuation there just really kept me uh, going around in circles. Yeah, that was a mover and shaker, no doubt. It's uh, <laughs> one minute you're flipping something on the bank, and the next minute you can't even get your bait there as far as you could cast it because it was out of the water. Yeah, I know. It was <laughs> strange. I, you know, honestly, I enjoyed it, and the fishing was actually turned out to be better than I thought it was. But, you know, it's one of those places, you know, hey, we've been that's beautiful hey guys we need to take a, a quick pause here and bass edge radio will be back in a moment with bass angler of the year greg hackney oh 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 The next time you need auto parts and accessories, trust O'Reilly Auto Parts. Our professional parts people know what it takes to get the job done right. Professional technicians have counted on O'Reilly Auto Parts for decades. It's all part of our service commitment to you and what sets us apart. Come see for yourself at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Edge Radio presented by Megaware Keelguard returns with Greg Hackney in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products. From real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. 
Well, Greg, it's a known fact that uh, you love to spend time in the woods in the fall, and of course it's November, but uh, there's still a lot of people that love to get on the water as well. Let's talk a little bit about some fall fishing action. What is the range of water temperature or other factors you feel is best for prime bass activity in the fall? You know, for me, that's the only double-edged sword of the fall because I I like to hunt, but this is some of the best fishing of the year. But I really find that anything under 65, you know, realistically down to 50, it almost seems like fish in the fall are a lot more active at a colder water temp than, say, pre-spawn fish. Seems like you get a front, you know, in the springtime, drops that water temperature back a little bit, you know, and it just kind of kills the bite. Where in the fall, I mean... I've had them high 40s to low 50s just crush a buzz bait. So uh, fall fish seem to have a different mentality. Day's getting shorter, water's getting cooler, and they're just on a feeding frenzy. Well, hey, Greg, once those prime conditions within that range of water temperature begin to exist, what are you looking for that will really make an area a possible high percentage location for fall fishing? Depending on the part of the country you're fishing in, to me, I find that number one in the fall, if the lake has shad, that's the deal. You know, it's wherever the bait fish are. It just seems like that, you know, that time of the year, the shad are starting to move back shallow, the water's cooling off, and uh, it just seems like the bass show up with them. Until the water tension gets, like, super cold, it seems like the crawfish, you know, they fall second. All that other stuff falls second, and it just seems like bait fish are the deal. So the number one thing I look for in the fall is, of course, shad. And depending on what lake that is, you know, we've been in Table Rock that time of the year or Lake of the Ozarks, you know, it's about gizzard shad. If you find big schools of gizzard shad running the bank, you know, that's when that buzz bait bite's happening. Or, you know, Kentucky Lake, it's a, you know, a walking topwater bait on the bars. Or Barkley, it's in the backs of the creek cranking a square bill, you know, where fish are on shad in the backs of the creek. The other deal is I typically start in the back of the creek in the fall. You know, normally when the shad are in the back, you can see them, you know, visibly see them, and then just start moving out because it seems like what happens, the water starts to cool down, the shad move into places, then as it gets colder, they just, they don't go back deep, but they seem to move back out to the main lake. The bait is still shallow, but it's shallow on the main lake rather than in the backs of the creek, so... uh it just kind of depends, you know, when that water temperature starts getting on down below 60, it seems like everything then kind of migrates back to the main lake again. Well, Greg, I saw where you were able to get your two sons out on some awesome smallmouth action before you returned home from the AOI championship in Michigan. So I got to ask, do you see either of them with a future career in bass fishing? And really, how does dad look at that type of career for his sons, you know, potentially moving forward? <laughs> You know, that's a big that's a big question, right? <laughs> it is a big question. I honestly haven't thought about, you know, I don't push them to do that. If that's something that they choose to do, you know, I, I will support them. The main thing is I, I want to see both of them get, you know, good college education. And then after that point, the world is their pearl. They can do whatever they want to with it. If they choose to go that way, that's fine. But they know what dad goes through to do that. So this is the funny thing about professional bass It's a, It's a great sport. You know, there's only a handful of people in the world that are ever just like any other sport, you know, that make it at it. But there are a lot of sacrifices, and I know all the guys go through that do this, their family makes a lot of sacrifices. You know, there are a lot of times when I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going a lot. Like this year, I was going a lot more than normal. But it's kind of give and take because, you know, a lot of guys, they get up in the morning, they go to work, and, you know, they see the kids for an hour or so in the afternoon. When I'm gone, I don't ever see them. When I come home, now I may be home for a month, and Dad's home every day for a month. 
So uh, we try to make it up when I'm home. But it, this is a tough deal, and, I, and it's tough on everybody that does it. Everybody in my family makes a lot of sacrifices, just like everybody in everybody's family who does this makes a lot of sacrifices. I wouldn't wish this on anyone. I think it's up to each individual, and if they decide they want to do it, I, I will support them 110%. And if they decide they want to do something else, I'll support them 110%. You know, it's totally up to them. It was totally up to me. My mother and father, they supported me 100% to become a fisherman. They, you know, I had a love for sport at a very small age and uh, fished a lot of tournaments growing up from bass clubs to buddy tournaments, big bass, and then draw tournaments and what have you. And my family supported me through that. I don't know if they ever knew I was going to become a professional. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's something you just don't know about. So, uh, but yeah, if they want to do that, I think that's great. And if they don't, I think it's great. It doesn't make me any difference. Well, that support is, is certainly critical and obviously it's paid huge dividends for you speaking of dividends you're about to make a uh, listener very very happy as it's only once a year that they are able to get their question answered by the angler of the year as it's time for the o'reilly auto parts the professional parts people listener question segment greg we give away a hundred dollar gift card from o'reilly auto parts during each episode to one of our listeners and this question we pose to you comes in from kyle harper of lone grove oklahoma and kyle asks I had an angler with limited time on the water. What are some things that you would recommend to help me get on the fish quickly so that I can spend more time fishing rather than searching? Number one thing, you know, the internet is our friend. I would research everything possible about the lake before I got there. I would go back and look past water conditions for the time of the year that I'm going to be there. What would it be normally? Now, like most all bass clubs, all small tournaments, you can find those results on the internet. So what type of fish do I need to be looking for? Typically, there's enough vague information or the fish being caught deep or shallow that time of the year. I mean, the main thing I would research from looking at a topo map to going to Google Earth and looking at it, is the lake dirty, clear, does it have grass? I would try to know as much of that as possible before I ever went to the lake the first time. So I kind of know what I'm looking for when I get there rather than just striking out and being totally blind and having to figure out are they deep or shallow or whatever. Just to kind of have some clue in which way I need to go as soon as I get there so I don't waste any time fishing the way I shouldn't be. Great stuff, Greg. Thanks for tackling that question. And Kyle, thanks for sending it into the show. Be sure to send us that email letting us know you heard Greg answer your question so you can redeem that $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. And Bass Edge listeners should continue submitting questions via our Facebook page and Twitter handle at Bass Edge or certainly through our email support at BassEdge.com. Be sure to include your name and hometown. Hey Greg, man, as always, very cool having you on Bass Edge Radio. Any closing thoughts for our listeners today? No, uh, good luck in the woods. <laughs> well, that, that is great advice considering you really broke away and took time out of your schedule because I think you're about to step into a tree stand probably when you hang up from us. So again, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. We certainly wish you luck at the classic and look forward to chatting with you again we'll be right back with more bass edge radio now you can order bass edge season three on dvd own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host aaron martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers including denny brower boyd duckett randy howell and dave wolak this two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101.
one. Fast Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at FastEdge.com. Always fun to talk with uh, Greg Hackney and obviously newly crowned AOI champ. You know, we asked him a question today that I really felt like would be a little bit more pinpointed. You know, asking him what were kind of some of the two techniques or so that he leaned on. Because I think a lot of times, you know, when we have a lot of success, we start grooving with a technique or something that's going on. And really, his versatility throughout the entire year looked like just following his intuition after all those years on tour. And uh, that's really what helped him be successful in 2014. I think oftentimes as anglers, we get boxed into wanting to say, okay, you know, put your finger on this. It's answer A or it's answer B. When in fact, the answer that he gave, I found to be extremely helpful in that it wasn't just one thing. And that's probably why he did so well, being able to stick and move and call that audible throughout the tournament day and from tournament to tournament. I just thought it was an area that is going to help many of us out, Kurt. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just not being pigeonholed, but fishing what is presented to you and then being able to take advantage of it. Super cool. Absolutely. And speaking of what is presented to you, that is all that we have to present today as we are simply out of time. I want to thank you, the listeners, for being with us here at Bass Edge Radio presented by MegaWare Keelguard. I am Aaron Martin, and for Kurt Dove and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we will see you next time right here on Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.